It seems fitting on this Labor Day weekend, as we honor the work done in our lives and in our nation, that we have this passage from Mark, a passage of Jesus's labor, Jesus's work, his ministry. We find Jesus traveling throughout Galilee. We hear of his going to Tyre, traveling by Sidon and Decapolis region. Now, why is that significant? Other than testing my pronunciation skills, you might wonder. See, where Jesus is geographically influenced how his work, how his labor, how his ministry happened. Where he was altered how he was received. Was it a warm welcome with doors thrown wide open? Or was it hostile? What bias maybe did Jesus himself even bring into specific places? As it happened, both the regions uh, that we hear about today were largely those of Gentile, which would have meant some initial opposition for a Jewish reformer. So Jesus has his work cut out for him. But here, Jesus is reminded by the Syrophoenician woman what work is truly important, what toil is truly worthy, what ministry matters. And maybe we are invited to ask the same question, to ask the same question of ourselves and of our lives. And maybe we too are like the man at the end of this passage, whose ears need to be opened and whose eyes need to see so that we may live our calling in the world. A reading from Mark. From there he set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there. Yet he could not escape notice. But a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him, and she came and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, of Syrophoenician origin, she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, for saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home, found the child lying on the bed, and the demon was gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went by way of Sidon toward the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. He took him aside in private, away from the crowd, and put his fingers into his ears and spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Then Jesus ordered them to tell no one. But the more he ordered them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They were astounded beyond measure, saying, he has done everything well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. 
hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorified by you, for you, O God, are our rock, and you, O God, are our redeemer. Amen. Okay, so when you all came in this morning, you should have received a red piece of paper and a marker. For those of you who are at home, I invite you, if you dare, to use the chat feature, which is on the right-hand um, right side of your screen. Um, if you're worshiping with us live or if you're worshiping with us later, you can use the chat, the chat, bottom, the chat feature at the bottom. Um, but I, I want you to take a moment, and I invite you to think about the worst job that you have ever had and write that job in big letters on your red sheet of paper. This is a job that you dreaded waking up in the morning to go to. Maybe you even like broke out in a cold sweat when you think about it still. Maybe it was the worst job because of a boss or a coworker or a toxic environment. Maybe it was because you felt degraded by the work or undervalued or underappreciated. Maybe you just found it boring or your customers were angry, or nothing was ever enough. Maybe it was because you actually didn't know what you were doing or how to do it. Okay, I'm gonna take a minute and write my worst job ever, so I invite you to do the same. And I invite you, if you dare, to hold it up. I'm gonna test my, oh, my reading skills. Oh, gosh. Oh, a shelf stalker. Ooh. Can anyone shout it out? I'm a little blinder than I thought. That's a problem. You a lawyer? Yeah. <laughs> a store clerk? What else do we have here? Oh, a laundromat. Yeah, that sounds like a gross job. Oh, elevator operator, all you do is the same thing day in and day out. Yes. Oh, a guard, yeah, the way that people treat you can deeply affect the jobs you hold. Okay, you guys can put those down. These are gonna come out later again. Oh, there are so many stories that I can hear just underneath the words that are written on that paper. This is a question that I love to use at parties, so if you ever need a good party conversation generator, you can take it for yourself. Because sometimes the answers are humorous, right? I've heard of corn detasselers and of stall muckers. I've heard of fast food gigs and nanny positions that just seem like something out of a horror movie. But you'll also get some heart-wrenching stories. You'll hear of folks who are treated terribly. Maybe you'll hear of a finance position where jobs seem to have broken hearts, where people have felt like they've barely escaped. The relearning that maybe they had to do after leaving that place, remembering who they are as beloved by God. After years of work telling them maybe a different tale. It is a gift to hear the stories that folks carry. 
in the ways that almost every single one of us have wondered at one point or another if their life was meant for toil worthier than this. So I've held a job since I was 12 years old. My sabbatical several months ago was the first time that I had a chunk of time off from working since, since I was 12, and it was such a gift. And I know that story is true for some of you too. I became a paper girl when I was 12, taking over a neighborhood route from a, a boy in the neighborhood. And I would come home from school um, folding and banding the papers for this afternoon local, local newspaper until my hands were black with ink. And then on the weekends, I would rise early with the heavy papers laden with all the ads and flyers. I've babysat and worked in restaurants and summer camps. And one summer, the summer before college, I had the job of working as a summer custodian at a junior high school. <laughs> there is nothing, well, there could be things grosser than being a I'm sure, but I had never experienced anything grosser than working as this custodian at this junior high school in Rock Springs, Wyoming, where I had lived at the time. I'd wake up at six o'clock in the morning to go to the school and I'd clean all the things that were scraped or hidden under the desks. And I would wipe out all the things that were left in the dark crevices of the lockers. And while it was a dirty job, I could also hear my grandfather, my pop-pop's voice, say, there is dignity in hard work well done. My pop-pop was a man who worked for the Georgia Pacific paper plant his whole life. His hands were large and muscled and worn from their days in and days out at work. When Dan and I got engaged, my grandmother gave us uh, their wedding bands. I wear her wedding band, and Dan wears my pop-pops. My pop-pop had passed away when I was in high school, but his hands were so big that when we got their wedding bands, Dan's size actually had to be cut in half to fit his hands. And I loved the way that my grandfather's hands told the story of his life, of his labor of sharecropping as a boy, and then factory work on the weeks, and then staining the pews and polishing the church floor on the weekends. The specifics of our work does not speak to its worth. In so much as the ways that, the ways that labor changes us and impacts the world, in the ways that our work can be big and magnificent and world-changing, and the ways it can also be tiny and miraculous, and maybe change your heart, or maybe change your family or your community or your church. May we all pray for a worthy toil. In our scripture today, we find Jesus going about his work, his calling, his ministry. We read of how, while Jesus attempts to fly under the radar, folks cannot help but know who he is, in part because of the work that he does, the change that he has already begun to make. And yet, here we see a Jesus that we are a little confused and confounded by, 
a Jesus hopefully that we're a little uncomfortable with in this passage today. Because this isn't a Jesus of open arms for all of God's people. A woman whose daughter is sick reaches out as a last resort to a man she'd heard of, not from her town or her religious tradition, to help save her daughter. There's a sense of desperation, of last resortedness in her ask. Having labored to bring this life into the world of rocking and tending and caring for her little one, I can almost hear her say, I will do anything. I will try anything. And so on her knees, she begs Jesus, bowing down to his feet. But instead of commending the woman, as Jesus does others for their great faith, Jesus rebukes the woman. Let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs, he says. In this case, Jesus is referring to Israel, the children, to be first fed. And how his ministry, his care, his attention, his healing, his work, his labor is for them. He even goes so far as to equate this woman and her daughter to dogs, unworthy of his time, talent, and attention. In a world where we lift up the lives of some children while caging others, where women's and children's lives, bodies, and health are at stake in partisan politics, Jesus' words seem to echo through the ages. Who is worthy of care and healing? Is it just those children? And yet, the Syrophoenician mother in her tenacity will not be deterred. She refuses to let her daughter's case go unattended. We too, she demands, we too are worthy of care. Some have said that Jesus was just testing the woman, wanting to see what her response was. Others have wondered if she changed his mind, allowing him to see the expansive nature of God's love. Whatever the reason, Jesus' work in that moment shifts. He heals the woman's daughter, her demons gone, and his work becomes about so much more than the children of Israel. Maybe in that moment, an idea blossoms from one people, one group, one subject to all people. Jesus' ears and eyes and mouth are opened to see and hear and speak like the man in the following miracle learned to hear and to speak. Maybe Jesus, too, had not imagined the fullness in store. Maybe he realized he, too, was meant for toil worthier than this, this limited or restricted ministry and mission. He was meant for more oil worthier than this. These words come from the poet and author Henry David Thoreau in his 1863 Atlantic article entitled Life Without Principle. In the article, Thoreau wonders what makes a life worth living. 
a question poets and authors have continued to wonder throughout time. From Mary Oliver's words, are you breathing just a little and calling it life? To the most frequented classes at Stanford and Harvard and Yale that revolve around the question of what makes a good life. Questions that maybe we too wonder this Labor Day. And here, Thoreau and Jesus both share us, the, show us the answer. In the same essay, Thoreau writes, you must get your living by loving. So on the back of your piece of paper, I want to invite you to take a few seconds to write what you love. To write what you love. It can be a list. It can be a drawing. What do you love? It can be yourself. I hope and pray that you make your own list. It can be a friend, a partner, a child, a parent. It can be a sibling, your garden, a pet. It can be a good book. It can be making a difference. Okay, if you're comfortable again, I invite you to lift up what you love. Family, yes. Listening to people. Mm. Man, I really need to go to the eye doctor. <laughs> if anyone wants to shout out their answer, I invite you to do that too. Food, amen. Nature, yes, we love nature. Music, in the ways that it connects us to God and one another. Walking through a forest, maybe hugging a grandbaby who lives far away. Grandchildren, yes, yes. Dogs, ugh, yes. And the way that they snuggle and just remind you that there's nothing, nothing that can be earned in that love, right? Yeah. Okay. I love all the beautiful ways that love exists in this community. You all, in the things that you love, all the things that you love, reflect the love of God. We must truly get our living by loving. Whatever the labor that makes up our lives, from the jobs that we hold to the many precious ways that we spend our limited time on this earth. May our labor speak of love. And beautifully, may it speak of the ways that God's holy love is at work through us, challenging us and inspiring us and expanding us. And I can hear my pop-pop's voice and I can feel his strong hand squeezing mine. If we live that way, that is a job well done. Amen.